You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we talk to music seismologists, audio cosmologists, and sonic technologists, where we explore the shifts that are changing everything in music, whether we hate them or not. <laughs> I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music tech. Are you ready? Three, two, one, blast off. Wow, we finally have Tristra New Year Jaeger back on the podcast. How's it going, Tristra? It's going pretty good. Uh, happy New Year to everybody, and yes. uh, here's to a much brighter 2021. Oh, we survived. I think we survived 2020, and I'm hoping for a brighter 2021, too. And I can't believe it seems like it's been months since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, I've been caught up in the excitement that many people have been facing of homeschooling plus working and all that good stuff. But it's great to get a moment just to think about big, fun things. Um, and 2020 gave us a lot to think about. I mean, it was the best of times in certain ways, but mostly it was the worst of times. Oh, I'll say. Yeah, let's let's kick off. So the idea with this episode is just the two of us talking about some of the news. I was going to say highlights, but they're not all highlights. The news, what, critical points? The, the, the big news items, I guess, of the year. Um, and I guess we should start with the COVID-19 pandemic because that was the defining um, moment and uh, trajectory of the entire year. So we had, as you said, ups and downs from the, from the entire experience. I mean, I will never forget Friday the 13th, March 2020 was the day that um, South by Southwest got canceled. And that was kind of the... That was kind of the pivoting point for us. We were like, oh, all of our artist PR just halted. Anything related to festivals halted. And then we had lots of plans at South by Southwest. We, we cut into our weekly meetups online as an alternative with our amazing manager of new, uh, of new business, Jade Preboy, running those amazing meetups uh, several days during what would have been South by Southwest. And then we, we pivoted that into our weekly Wednesdays, which we did throughout the summer, I think into the summer and, and just led to all our other online events. But, but mainly it was just like everything froze and the uncertainty began and basically hasn't stopped since then. <laughs> yeah. And it was, uh, I mean, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion of the rather, um, grim state of live music, and that's an issue, of course, that's going to continue into 2021. Um, and it, it's wonderful here in the U.S. They finally passed some aid, some federal aid for live venues and for the independent, which is basically the, the underpinnings of the independent music system where so many artists get their start, build their connection with um, music lovers um, and, and, and all that stuff. So it's great to hear that there's been some awareness of how important music venues and music making is to our communities, to our lives. Um, but it was a really brutal year for people who either rely on touring or people who, uh, you know, their businesses revolving around touring artists and live music performances. It was, it was, it was really rough. Yeah. With the exception of some interesting creativity around that, I mean, it really f has felt like 2020 was the death of live music. I don't think that's a permanent state, but I think it is a permanent state for certain companies, certain careers, um, certainly certain tours. Um, we saw some, you know, really long-standing booking agencies shut down completely. We saw some new booking agencies emerge from the ashes of a lot of agencies that were having to do furloughs and layoffs. And uh, 
I don't know. I mean, the good thing about starting a, a live music, live event agency in a time like this is you you know there's only one direction you can go, which is up. But it certainly seems like a, a really frustrating and difficult time to launch that type of business because there's no revenue. I mean, even a traditional agency in, in a normal time period would be waiting six, 12 months before they see any revenue because they have to book the stuff, the concerts have to happen, the weather has to permit, and uh, the tickets have to sell, the venue has to stay in business. All these things have to happen in normal times before the agents start to make any money. And now some of them launched with a three or six month period in 2020 where there was literally nothing happening. I kept, kept hoping to see a new type of agent and a new type of promoter emerged that was focused on live streaming. And I haven't heard that much detail. We've certainly seen a lot of live streams, but I'm not sure how much it's changed the actual live music ecosystem. But I think you're right. This is going to have a long-term impact, not only on live music, but the entire music field. Um, and hopefully uh, in 2021, we'll start to see some embers uh, return to flames. But I'm, I'm not... I'm not bullish on how the live music industry is going to look in 2021. Yeah, there may be some limping along for quite some time. Um, but again, so we had the sort of best of times and worst of times. Um, on the best of times side, this was a time of incredible creativity for artists. And um, the distributors that we know and love and talk to a lot have just been um, overwhelmed with the um influx of new tracks that people are releasing. So either people are uh, emptying out their hard drives or finishing projects that have been in um, kind of cooking for a long time and maybe they were on the road and they never had, the musicians never had time to just sit down and finish them. Or people have come up with something fresh because they've been in situations where they've turned to music making as a way to uh, process or cope or just to find something else to think about than the situation that they're in. So there's been a flood of recorded music out there, both um, from professionals and from amateurs. And you know, for a while, some of the big hit making type recordings were paused, um, but then you know, releases went ahead. Lady Gaga put out her album, for instance. Um, Blackpink, BTS like all of these big hit makers, uh, Dua Lipa, like those, those folks have all put their music out this year. And then there's also just all sorts of independent and DIY artists who've been making tons and tons of music or finally releasing projects that they had uh, kind of waiting in the wings for a long time. So it's been an interesting, interesting time in that respect. Um, I feel like, you know, one of the things that, that I've mentioned on the podcast towards the end of the year and just hearing a little bit more from various sources is that the, the, the pandemic, the social isolation, lockdown, whatever, all those different factors, remote work, have led to an acceleration of the adoption of certain practices, especially technology-related workflows and, and practices. And I'm thinking that the flood of recordings that we're hearing about um, – from the the you know the the wide variety of artists uh, in terms of you know where they are in their careers how, how 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 big of a following they have and all that kind of stuff is also an inflection point that I think was happening gradually that just got forced to happen faster because people had nothing else to do they were kind of <laughs> forced to face those hard drives or those home studios because they weren't getting distracted out in the world with other other jobs or. Um, or with social endeavors or just daily life. You know, you just did things, more stuff at home. So there you were with your microphone, your instruments, whatever your setup was right there. Um, but I think that 
it's this inflection point between that we've we've been talking about as one of the seismic shifts, you know, music being in the hands of the masses, music production being in the hands of the masses, where we no longer think solely in terms of artist, performer, celebrity speaking to audience, fans, listener, viewers, right? Where mm-hmm. there's a much more blending where more of those audience, listener, viewer, fans are also creators and the forced lockdown kind of, I think, just pushed that inflection point further faster. Yeah, and it also gave um, artists an interesting opportunity to explore things like live streaming. And there have been artists that who, for you know, a decade at least, have used live streaming as a basis for, um, or as a, a major pillar in their career. However, um, you know, now folks really, it was like the only way to reach out to other people. A lot of musicians make music so that they can do that. Um, you know, some musicians make music just to make music. Right. <laughs> some people like to like to reach other people through their music. And, um, you know, the interactive aspect of all of this really came to the fore. And, we, you know, it, we kind of woke up to this situation and saw that uh, we do have the technology to create really uh, substantive, interesting, interactive experiences between people scattered across the globe, whether they're making music together as collaborators, doing post-production, say, for a TV series or, you know, or they're performing for one another or, you know, there's all sorts of interesting things going on. So that, again, is I'd put on the sort of best of time side. Um, you know, and, you live know stream. Yeah, I think as a, as a result of that, Tristra, I think both just the, the the lots of releases stuff everything forcing to forced to go online more engagement through online platforms as a, as opposed to uh, the street team model or the live performance model or all that kind of stuff um, and, and certainly on the live streaming is a piece of that digital engagement and we'll talk more about some of the other digital phenomena that are doing this but I think that we've as a result of all of this we're seeing a strong, level of fan interest in music it feels like people are more engaged in music than ever before Mm -hmm. which is i think another piece that's worth mentioning not only is there this this flood of music and this flood of live streams but there's also the demand is staying high people are engaged music is clearly having staying power and how people identify interact with the world engage with the world create their own content and so forth well and if we think about how isolated many of us have felt this year um, hearing another voice, like the human voice, just sort of thinking in, mm. beyond music to audio writ large, um, which has been a big trend for 2020. Um, audio, hearing other voices, hearing um, just another human <laughs> doing something interesting or saying something meaningful, it was you know it was something we all really missed. Um, we didn't get to hear uh, a voice in person. Um, so I think I think that that psychological aspect um, really made it. And music is awesome because it can fit in to a lot of activities, a lot of situations, whereas, you know, sitting down and like binging on Netflix is something that you kind of have to do while, you know, while binging on Netflix, like it's really hard to do that and wash the dishes and, um, you know, cycle five miles on your, on your stationary bike or whatever. So, um, it's a, but there, that psychological need for, some kind of audio stimulus <laughs> to sort of break you out of your, I mean, the cool thing about music is, and, and I've said this before is that it, it is um, the original sort of uh, engine for creating an alternate reality. So you can kind mm. of change the soundtrack of your, 
life and you can alter your psychological state not right. to get too woo about it yeah but, the, um, the original <laughs> augmented reality is, is exactly. music you can yes. put on headphones and well you didn't have to put on headphones you could just start banging out some notes or there we <laughs> singing go a song or <laughs> belting something out at the top of your lungs if you needed to yeah right. um yeah but it's been an interesting interesting year that's really shown uh the value of music to a lot of people i think you're absolutely right and how it can really work to um support us uh psychologically and motivate us and do all sorts of cool things that are really um really important when you're um in this sort of state of isolation or uh, confusion, uh, uncertainty that we've been facing uh, in two, in 2020. And I, th- I think the artist side of that, uh, you know, that, that was sort of like the fan perspective of using music to augment your experience and, and get through it and survive and become the soundtrack to all sorts of stuff, whether it's fitness, relaxation, work at home, drowning out the kids in the back, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, but on the creator artist side, the experimentation that's been happening. We talked about lots of recordings. We talked about live streaming. I do think we should talk a little bit more about live streaming, but also mm-hmm. it just feels like people are feeling like they're forced into the laboratory and they're trying new instruments. They're mashing mm-hmm. up more genres. They're trying more social platforms, more fan engagement platforms that are different than how it was before the pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of incentive to just throw caution to the wind and just try something new because you know what else are you going to do? So before we go off the topic of live streaming, um, because that's a huge thing. I mean, it's just taken up so much uh, attention and interest because there's not an alternative for for performing live right now. And uh, and also the technology's reached a point and kind of social norms have reached a point where that's now not the stepchild of the music industry, but sort of like, oh, this is the thing you do. It's almost like risen to prominence above just straight up social media where you're posting pre-recorded videos, photos, or, or just text. Um, and there's a wide variety of types of companies that are coming out. Uh, you know, there's the basic, the, the, the ones that have the simplest interface, both for the artist and the fan, the, the ones that are ubiquitous that are already tapped into large audience bases. But then there's the interactivity. It's been interesting to see what kind of interactive features different live streaming companies have been able to bring out that they tried 10 years ago, but now the, 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 the bandwidth, the broadband and all also, the, the, um, the technology for streaming that stuff has been just more, uh, made it more feasible to do stuff like multi-camera where you can switch from, from camera to camera, different types of fan experiences where it's, sure, there's the chat, but there's also all the different ways um, with monetizing that interactivity with emojis and uh, animations and polls polls and input from art um, input from fans that are you know their name their usernames or texts that then appear like i'm thinking of the weekend um in tiktok where the usernames and other stuff submitted by users would kind of become part of the visual experience in a really interesting way i mean that that that's hard to pull off but seems it's pretty straightforward right but it's really hard to pull off um in terms of the on the development side from what i understand so the interactive stuff has um a lot of potential and a lot of interesting creative potential but i feel like it's still we're still kind of stuck in the concert mode Mm-hmm. You know, we want little little Nas X to come out and give us a concert or give us a show, even if we are in you know in a, in a place where anything could happen. So we were creating virtual music festivals that look just like live music festivals. Well, but maybe that's a little true. Bit flashier, you know, it's funny you should mention little Nas X because he did a Roblox uh, 
uh, activation uh, towards the end of the year that you could buy uh, a little NOS X skin for your avatar. Your avatars can dance and interact and do different um, kind of almost like games within the concert and festival mm-hmm. experience. So it, it is starting to. And actually, I, uh, uh, of course, I was one of the families that got a Quest 2 over Christmas. And so I've been playing <laughs> Beat Saber and taking a look at Melody oh, VR fun. and Tribe XR, which are mm-hmm. um, all companies that have presented at the Music Tectonics Conference. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if those types of interactions um, where you're actually experiencing movement to the music or creating the music like in the DJ in the in the in the case of um, the uh, DJ equipment or um, mm-hmm. experience if you can combine that with a live show or a festival experience then you have a whole other level of interactivity because you have and you can see friends and interact with their av- avatars while at concerts things like that that will bring it to the next level yeah I think there's just so much potential there for um, really crazy out-of-the-box thinking something you could never do in real life I mean there's a wonderful aspect to live music of you know being humanly present there but there if we're going to do something that is in a game like Roblox or Minecraft or Fortnite let's just like let's go crazy people like this is this is it doesn't have to look like what you have seen for most of your life right it could be anything mm-hmm. um and that's the neat that's the cool potential and 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 um the thing that really excites me is this could be uh, a, a, the beginning of a new medium in so many ways, like something that is truly uh, could could create an alternate world, and that doesn't have to look like a Bitmoji or like a you know doesn't have to have the same aesthetics as the popular the big like blockbuster video games, right? So it could yeah. there could be these interesting worlds um, that are that are evoked by music and where people could have audio experiences that are truly you know diverse and interesting. Anyway. Yeah, it's that's coming. My, that's it's my all, little soapbox. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, all, <laughs> go for it. It's all it's all coming. I mean, it's it, all that you're talking about is 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 emerging little by little right now, mm-hmm. and it, again accelerated by this moment in time. And you know, I think some of this stuff is going to have long term impacts. Um, when when we were talking about the ups and downs of the pandemic, you know. Um, Will that change, uh, you know, what what we see in terms of the demographic of artists? Um, I think it probably will. I mean, obviously, increased access to different tools will will change that. Um, in terms of fan engagement, I think these things are going to stick around even once we figure out as a society to how to be back in person with more people, mm-hmm. more diverse sets of people than just our immediate household or roommates or whatever. Um, I think uh, these types of digital engagement with fans are also going to be here to stay. Not every single one of them, but I think people are adding them, not replacing things. They're adding additional methods. Exactly. So it's going to be a lot like a sporting event where you have multiple layers of uh, participation and monetization, except for it could be even more interactive because, you know, it's hard to get up and like join in on a basketball game, though I guess there's like VR apps and things that are trying to get people to do that. So, but there's, I think there's a lot of potential for this sort of onion like uh, uh, model where, you know, there's a core group of fans who are willing to pay uh, substantial amounts to see an in-person, very high quality production. And then there's the uh, next layer where maybe you have a live stream interactive thing. And then there's this sort of almost pay-per-view moment where it's like broadcast to an even wider audience at a lower price point, um, and and that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to think about because it really changes 
uh, it could really change the lives of people who have relied on really high uh, volume touring um, with major production moving from city to city. Um, you know, it's very, very expensive, lots of logistics, lots of tough, uh, complicated decisions that have to be made. And if you could instead do a couple, you know, like a, a dozen uh really amazing little high production events, not little, but big high production events. Um, you would really, uh, and then you can maximize uh, the the views on those all around the world. It would completely change the way um, a pop star could work. And, you know, uh, these, we're talking about these big activations and games and these high, uh, high cost, um, high production value live streams, but there's a, a lower, um, more DIY level. I mean, I've, I've, talked to some artists this year who were creating their own multiverses um, using available tools. And there are things like Unity, um, where you can kind of create on your on your own with some pretty, you know, you don't have to be super, super deep into game development or, um, you know, an audio engineer to start to really create a multi-level experience for your fans um, that could have, you know, a, a similar kind of onion-like model. I don't know. It's a it's not necessarily going to be just the people that can afford a hundred thousand dollars in development um, in the next couple of years. And right. it'll offer more, a lot more options for, for artists. And um, just to throw this in there, this made me think of a, uh, a, uh, uh, boss Grossmeyer and uh, Martin Walraven have like wrote a really cool overview um, looking forward to 2021 um, recently. And they mentioned this idea of scarcity, whether we're talking about things like non-fungible tokens or, um, you know, exclusive levels of ticketing for a live stream event. But 2020 really proved that these are possibilities and even viable models. Um, so this idea of scarcity in music, which hasn't really been the, uh, the, uh, the cry to arms for the music industry, it's more like, let's get it all on there. We want the biggest catalog. We want everything in the whole world available right now. Um, and now the, 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 the call is like, you know, how can we get it, make it so there's lots of exclusive stuff that only a few people can hear or see, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we've really seen a big sea change um, from this idea of like maximal abundance and like the the long tail, the infinite store, uh, the infinite catalog to let's just have a few things for people that really care. And how can we get the value from them? Because, uh, you know, if we're talking about independent artists, they uh, independent artists notoriously underestimate what their fans are willing to contribute or pay. So if, uh, if it's a pay what you want, kind of scenario, like we've learned from our, our client Banzoogle, who works with independent artists and helps sort of empower them through these e-commerce tools. You pay what you want. And, and um, artists are often shocked that fans will pay twice what they expected. Um, not everyone, but enough to make it kind of, you know, food for thought in terms of how we valued music in the past and whether that um, ridiculous, like over the top, everything's available right now model, sort of all you can eat buffet of, of, of songs uh, and tracks is actually the the way we should approach um, digital music. I don't know. It's interesting. One of the bullets we had to talk about was threats to the emerging artist ecosystem. But in typical music tectonics fashion, there's an optimism <laughs> that, that, that gets us there. <laughs> Although, you know, I don't know if you want to say anything else, Trisha, about sort of all the all the, the, the downside of what's been happening this year that, that you see as threats to, to emerging artists and that well, ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, beyond the live music thing, there's been a whole renewed conversation about 
um, the streaming model, um, whether we're talking about the broken record campaign and um, some testimony late in 2020 before the UK parliament, um, a lot of questions about Spotify's business model, for example, um, as they do a lot of mergers and acquisitions and buy expensive podcasts from royalty and um, all that kind of stuff. So, and there's a lot of interest in alternative models that may be more um, artist friendly or even artist owned, whether it's like a cooperative model or um, a fan driven model like Audius. Um, and, and basically all of these, all these things ask, they're sort of looking at the same question, which is we have this system that seems to be locked into place for streaming. Streaming's pretty successful. It's gotten really great adoption. Um, so the revenue is there. The interest is there to some extent. Um, but the user experience and the catalog across all these services is basically identical as Sherry, who has pointed out really, um, really astutely. They're, they all look the same. They don't, most of them sound basically the same, or even if you have a high res service, um, you need to have the right equipment to really take advantage of that. And not all tracks are really made for high, high res type uh, listening enjoyment and audiophile enjoyment. So what is it that's going to make uh, you know, this the streaming experience has basically become a commodity, just like basically live streaming is a commodity. So what are we going to do? What can artists do to create something um, that communicates the value of what they do, that creates a meaningful connection with uh, a person or thousands or millions of people? Um, what is what is it like? What is what are we going to do? Um, how I hate to say, how do we create scarcity, but maybe flip that on its head and say, how do we um, build value and create uh, a sort of real precious sense of uh, the beauty of some of the stuff or the meaning of some of the stuff or the excitement? Um, yeah, it's a, it, it is an interesting time in that streaming has become basically ubiquitous, lots of adoption, very, very uh, all over the world. Um, and yet it feels like it feels kind of like there's something missing, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially it's, from the artist side. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's not all revenues and money. You know, it's not just payments. It's like there's something else missing for artists. Well, it's complicated because on the one hand, pre-streaming, there was a moment in time where um, the, the, the tidal wave of fan interest and engagement was around digital music downloads. And there it was a little bit tricky to kind of manage the workflow of getting access to that music and uh and for a moment the only way to do it was to to not pay for it and <laughs> certainly the itunes and 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 beat ports and other um mp3 and other digital download platforms came up with an alternative but mm -hmm. it wasn't quite as easy uh, an experience on the fan side as streaming now is. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we have a situation where streaming is kind of really competing with the, the role that radio played, but it's different because you can select which track you want to hear. So you really are getting music on demand rather than audience on demand, which is what radio kind of is. It's kind of reverse in a way. You play what you want as a DJ or as a programmer, and the audience has to listen to whatever with ads in between. The real model now is is kind of flipped in a sense that the 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 listener is the is the programmer is choosing what they're listening to, and so on the one hand, 
it's um, replacing radio, which, you know, radio was always thought of as a promotional opportunity. You're getting access to an audience. So the streaming services could make the case of, oh, well, if you want anyone to hear you, you have to be on the streaming services, just like you had to be in the radio in the old days to get discovered. But the problem is streaming is also replacing the, the unit of commercial exchange the financial exchange so you have this ubiquity of streaming but it's at the same time replacing and disrupting the method by which people were traditionally getting paid whether it was artists uh, artist labels or publishers um, and any other parties involved in that whole process so um, <clears throat> the trick is how you know where's the rest of the value come from and mm -hmm. I think um, you're talking about some interesting pushback models where artists um and other content creators and, and, and rights administrators, the people that are all on the monetization side of recorded music are saying, what are these alternatives? There's the direct to fan option um, where whatever it is that you're selling, you can control the pricing and as a result, influence the profit margin in a more, a much more direct way than, than going through label distributor streaming service. And then there's um, so many other, options for for monetizing revenue streams one of the trickiest piece of it is actually having clean data and knowing where the music's uh being played and used and how much you're getting paid from different oh, yeah. so that you can actually evaluate what's working what's not working but really the stuff you're talking about is is a variety of alternative models outside of the now mainstream streaming model of monetization it could be in the form of sync pitching and licensing for tv film and commercials it could be in the form of direct to fan it could be a different merch opportunities it could be uh, our actually our last episode of the year we we talked to tommy from single music and he talked about bundling with live streams where you're bundling merch sometimes that's the way he talked about a concert that had 5,000 people and generated a million dollars in merch and bundle sales uh, in addition. So I mean, that's bundles are bundles are like the how somebody like DJ Khaled, which no one can figure out what he actually does. Um, <laughs> that's how he's that's how he's charted. I mean, bundles were bundles have been a really powerful uh, commercial lever for certain kinds of artists for a long time. So yeah, it makes total sense. It would it would work well with live streaming and other as it, it multiplies the experience, right? Just watching something on a screen isn't as cool as then, then I get this, maybe I get something sent to me um, in the mail and I can like that I can touch and feel, or I have some special digital um, collectible that means something to me that I can enjoy or add to my gameplay or whatever it is I want to do. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, what, we're going to take a quick break and bring you an, um, a message from the music tectonics world. And when we come back, Trister, I'd like to talk about some of these other alternative futures for the music industry besides streaming, because we're seeing some other glimmers of hope we haven't talked about. We'll be right back. NAMM's Believe in Music Week is next week, January 18th through 22nd, and Music Tectonics is shaking it up. NAMM's trade show is always packed with instrument, gear, and software makers, and our Innovation Hub events will highlight the most innovative companies at this year's virtual show. Look for our Innovation Hub booth if you're attending NAMM, or participate in my live, quote, Meet the Innovators events on our own platform. Look for updates and links in the Music Tectonics app and our email newsletter. At the end of the show, I'll tell you how to stay up to date with all our upcoming events. All right, so we were talking about 
uh, alternatives to the the broken streaming model. Um, I would yep. personally, I don't think it's totally broken. Broken, but, broken with um, a question mark or in scare quotes. Right. It depends on who you ask and how. I mean, some people for some people it's working fantastically, and there are artists that have tweeted, for example, about their amazing checks that they've gotten from the streaming services. So you know, it's not it's not all um, it's not all gloom and doom, and and it's a real mixed bag for artists. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> And well, and in addition, record labels, a lot oh, of record yeah. labels are not complaining about the streaming world and certainly the streaming services aren't either. So <laughs> um, it does depend on where you sit about Absolutely. whether it's broken, but it is, it is a complicated question. But we were going to talk about alternative futures as well, because one thing that did emerge last year and the end of 2020 was a new wave of revenue coming in through licensing with social media platforms. And so we heard, I know, I remember seeing some news stories from Warner in particular, Mm -hmm. but we're looking at like multi-billions of dollars that are going to be coming in in the coming year or years that all of a sudden this is like, wait a second, this is not competing with streaming services. It's not competing with direct to to fan merch or sales or any of that stuff. It's like this other tier. It's kind of like, when sync started to rise and people like, whoa, that's a whole other revenue stream. Social media is, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, um, we're seeing a new, a, a whole new revenue stream for those platforms to get quote right with the the IP of music. Um, there's this whole wave of of money that's that's starting to come in as well. Yeah, I think it was a long expected wave too. It was. Um, I feel like there's people have been talking about how. Uh, social media will become a source of income for labels and artists and publishers for years. And so it's kind of interesting to see that really taking off. And I think in some ways, TikTok was the, was, well, you know, I know that Facebook and Instagram have had deals in place for a long time. Um, but I felt like TikTok really pushed this forward in interesting ways um, mm-hmm. yep. this year be- or this past year in 2020, uh, the way, um, especially you can see it when you look at uh catalog, like really ancient by the music, by the digital music uh, standards uh, titles from, you know, way, way back in the past, like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams or um, Break My Stride, those kind of, um, those kind of tracks that have, you know, from decades ago, most TikTok users may have never heard them. And all of a sudden, or like Harry Belafonte uh, started to to pick up some steam, you know, like all of these really uh, interesting artists from the past that became uh, suddenly popular again and would hit the billboard charts. So uh, there's, it, it kind of showed the, uh, the labels at least that there's so much potential in, um, in renewing interest in things that they thought maybe didn't have uh, the same value today as, you know, some, some newer tracks. Anyway, um, the, you know, social media has definitely finally, uh, uh, gotten connected to <laughs> the importance of of licensing, and you know, Twitch had some struggles with as as it became a source of a, a place for people, a platform for um, live streaming for music and for DJing. Um, it's had some struggles with figuring out the licensing picture, and in general, you kind of I hope that this new stream of revenue will help some of the bigger players in the industry see how licensing has been. Um, one of the toughest, it's sort of a Gordian knot, right? We can't seem to cut through it. And yet if it were somehow simplified or changed, it would be a lot more, um, uh, 
uh, they would earn a lot more money, (laughs) you know, like licensing has been this sort of uh, tough thing. You know, there's got to be a way to work it out. And I know, I mean, there's a lot of effort being made to create new organizations, new, um, new kinds of licenses. Like there's finally a blanket license for digital mechanicals, thanks to the MMA. Um, But there's just, there's so, it feels like there's so much work to be done and it's, there's so much money that's being left on the table or um, intellectual property or, or creativity that's not being fully rewarded. Um, yeah. It's- yeah. So, so, I mean, to me that in itself was kind of an inflection point for 2020, especially towards the end of the year, as you heard more news about those licenses becoming more broadly mm-hmm. implemented, yeah. because I think, you know, like you said, Facebook and Instagram had some licensing in place, but um, TikTok took a kind of eventually took a much broader approach. And, and the inflection point is not just with social media, because I mean, tech platforms in general kind of had a let's, let's build yep. this in- engagement user um, ubiquity first and figure out the rest later. I mean, Clubhouse um, is still feels- Clubhouse is still saying that's their approach. I'm like, oh, dudes, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, there isn't that much music being played. Uh, not yet. yet. I mean, yes. it just takes like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, that aside. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The break. But the but the point is, regardless <laughs> of whether it's a social platform or not, I mean, we saw it play out in the fitness world too. Oh where yeah. There was some some conflict with with Peloton, for example, um, and they had to they had to settle some some licensing issues. Seems like that's happened in yep. every. Just like we're saying, like everything that's following TikTok knows. Oh, licensing is part of the deal. The labels the publishers now have expectations around this and they're you know the the, the lawsuits that preceded it are demonstration yeah, exactly. same things happening with fitness it looks like people are making sure that they have their licensing locked in earlier in the process gaming yep. and now you know we'll, we'll see i mean it'll be interesting to see what kind of revenue gets generated beyond this in fitness i like the idea that Music, I mean, even your earlier comment, kind of like music being the first thing that augmented reality before there was any tech at all, really, um, is now showing that it's kind of like something you can synchronize with anything that you're doing with your hands or your eyes. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, yeah. So fitness. Or your feet gaming. or your knees or your hips, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> or your VR controllers yeah, yeah, or whatever Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Your, your hair. Um, but... <laughs> But that's that's what makes the future of music, recorded music, so so powerful with so much financial profitable potential mm-hmm. is that it can accompany so many things. And even with podcasts, it's not really it's not like you're listening to the music while you're doing something else. It becomes integral to the actual content itself, yeah. which I guess is 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 kind of similar to to like sync and, and YouTube. Too. Yeah. I mean music adds depth and uh dare I say flavor. It's like the it's like, you know, the umami of the <laughs> audiovisual <laughs> world. Like you yeah, you know, it true. adds it adds a uh, um emotional resonance and or um energy in ways that uh the ways that are difficult. Like if you've ever watched a, a fitness video or a workout video without music, you know that it's ten times harder <laughs> to get through it than it is if you have right. um even a mediocre track that you're not that into on in the background. So it's it's very interesting. Um so we've we've talked a bit about the the crazy world of of TikTok and um all of these you know, new ways that, that it feels like, so like you, you, you put it really well, Dimitri, and that you're saying the pieces are coming together. And I was like, but we need more, but still the pieces are coming together in a, in a way that has been anticipated, hoped for, fought for, for um, many years. And let's hope that that momentum continues. Cause I think 
you know, it feels like we're finally starting to digest what this digital music revolution meant. And we've we've sort of gotten through this horrible, um, you know, slow of the spawned, like the hard, hard uh, uh, valley. And now we're at a point where despite 2020 being kind of a really difficult year in many ways, we're seeing that there's there are peaks beyond where we are now, um, where if we can get some things in place and get some agreements uh, made between the right parties, we're looking at a really exciting future where maybe music as a set, like recorded music in particular, as a separate category kind of disappears or is is blended into a whole series of experiences. Maybe, you know, technology is going to help us think about all of this in a radically different way. Um, and music is just going to be everywhere. And people who can make music or make the elements of music that then, say, are algorithmically blended to conform to a certain experience, whether it's a meditation moment or a run or, um, you know, uh, just a general kind of background thing for some for a video or other other thing, a podcast, um, all of the, you know, the music may become something that's just like elemental to everyone's experience of all these other things. And it may become like not a separate, you know, the, somehow the, the, the uh, hardware involved in uh, listening to music in the past made it feel like a separate category, but maybe it's going to mm -hmm. become, I mean, you know, <laughs> There were there were often people who were seen as you know technically superior to others when it came to creating music or or say running a ritual or um, you know there were town musicians in in Europe for example going back you know centuries upon centuries and they were seen as experts but people were making music all the time um, and maybe we're going to go back to something closer to that you know I like to joke about folk you know the folk era 2.0 where people are just making music for their own amusement and it comes and goes, or they use things that are like pre-made bits and pieces and reassemble them. And, you know, uh, technology could create to could, could really change. I don't know. It could change the way we think about music as this discrete uh, object, whether it's a physical object or a digital object. Anyway. All right. right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I think <laughs> there's two more things we should probably hit on. And then it would be kind of fun to talk about what, I don't want to say projections, but what we're going to be paying attention to this year in 2021. The first one is just about that more casual music maker that you're sort of talking about there. There seems to be, um, you know, this 2020 saw a, a quite quite a lot of new um, hardware and software emerging. And this idea of the casual music makers really mm -hmm. seems to be emerging um, to, to, to the fore. And I think um, that was kind of a, an interesting thing that I would not say, I don't know if there was a news item around that necessarily in 2020, but it was definitely like, a, wow, look what's happening here. Well, instruments <laughs> like guitars uh, had kind of like bicycles. Like everyone was talking about how, oh, no one's buying bikes anymore for kids or no one's buying guitars. And all of a sudden everyone's buying guitars and everyone's buying bikes <laughs> because, you know, uh, there, there are things that um, a casual user can get enjoyment out of without a lot of training, uh, practice. You know, it's not like the, like the trombone where you have to practice relentlessly. You sound like shit, you know. Um, so there's, it's well, yeah, actually I, I talked to some of the music education related music tech companies and they've had an incredible yeah. year during the pandemic, it's, which right? is great. You're not going it's out, beautiful. You know. Like people are getting, um, getting a chance to create and, and 
do something that's really, I mean, making music is really satisfying, you know, and it's so awesome that yeah. people are scratching that itch and um, getting a chance to, you know, they may never become virtuosi. They don't, they don't have to be. It's the pleasure is in the process, you know? Um, and I think that the in music tech business is starting to really understand that, that the process itself is super pleasurable for people and has a lot of value for people. Um, you know, I, Mark, Mark Mulligan talked about uh, sort of casual music makers or sometimes people call them prosumers or whatever as the top of your funnel if you have like a, a plug-in or a DAW or something like that. But I, I don't know. I kind of also see that as a um, beyond looking at it from a sheer business perspective. It's also, um, you're, you know, if you know how to make music, even just a little bit, you're going to appreciate music a lot more. So those are also people who are going to be open to all sorts of interesting musical experiences um, once they've got deepened their own relationship and understanding of music. So um, there's there's a lot of potential there as well. Um, people, you know, people change <laughs> and making music mm-hmm. um, and picking up a new skill can change somebody. So it's kind of interesting to think about what all of that activity, is it going to be just like a fad, like it was something just to pass the time or how many of those people are going to stick with it or, or at least have been slightly changed in their listening and music enjoyment habits, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess one last thing before we talk about what we see coming for 2021, an indication of where things are going were the number and success of IPOs we saw in the music space. I know the, the Warner Music <laughs> IPO was in the summer. Um, you, you had some other, <laughs> I, the, I, I wrote down my notes, um, IPO Lusa, IP, uh, IPO, Palooza, IPO Palooza, <laughs> say that five times fast. Well, since we couldn't have real, the real Lollapalooza, instead we had IPOs. I hope everyone was, had fun and put on their IPO, you know, gear and you know, got their water bottle and <laughs> no, anyway. Um, yeah, I, there was, this was a ton of, or DPOs and IPOs and all sorts of things, whether we're talking, you know, Peloton or major labels. I mean, it, it, in general, it was part of, I think, a bigger wave of, of you know, once, <laughs> once things opened up again after the first wave of lockdowns in the US at least, um, everyone seemed to want to get to market as soon as possible. <laughs> and I think there was mm-hmm. this feeling of, um, you know, kind of rushing to, to get stuff done before, uh, what could be, um, you know, people just didn't know what was going to happen. Right. They, they did, they didn't want to bring, I I don't think I'd want to have an IPO, uh, when I, I thought that the world was on the brink of a recession because of say political and other factors, um, affecting the economy. So, but it's interesting in general, like to, to take it even a step, take a step back and take it even broader, um, the the financialization of the music industry is developing apace, right? So we've got, um, whether we're talking about um, hypnosis and other major investors buying up big pieces of catalogs with long sort of track records um, in the publishing world, or whether we're talking about um, these kind of scrappy startups that are looking at new ways to fund new recordings, whether it's through sort of a, a blockchain or crypto model or through um, the financialization of sort of basically creating shares of ownership in um, a musical recorded work 
or in an artist's career in some way, shape or form. Um, so there's there's some really, really interesting things going on that are, are changing the sort of way music is financed and the finance of music. And those the IPOs um, were part of that as well as just the general sort of amazing sort of spending spree people went on um, to buy up publishing catalog. I, I mean, it's so funny because I think you know, not that pu- publishers always understood the value of of what they of their the intellectual property of the copyrights that they had, um, and of the work that their songwriters do, but it feels like suddenly every a bunch of other people in the world woke up to that and started throwing money at it. It was very interesting. It was a crazy year um, for for publishing um, in twenty twenty. Well, I would assume that, you know, these smart people with money that are spending lots of money who don't like to lose money at all are, <laughs> are, are predicting growth in the music space. And that's 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 I mean, there's yeah. also this argument that the that there's a character trait of publishing catalogs that is different than other investment tools, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, that can ride a recession in a different way and have longer term impact and, and so forth. Um but it also seems like it's an indication that there's a lot of confidence that there's growth here. Although you could also say the smartest investors are the ones that sell when it's high. <laughs> so the other question is, <laughs> at some point, they're predicting it's going to go down. Otherwise, they could wait even longer, right? But, well, um, with some of these big catalog sales, like I think you know Dylan's being a major one at the end of the year. Um, uh, you know, these are older artists. Maybe they want to they want to see some of the benefit of that value bef- in their lifetimes, and um, you know, maybe they have uh, things they want to accomplish before they shuffle off this mor- mortal coil. And you know, having holding on to an asset may not be high on their list of priorities. You know, I mean, so usually that's not on someone's bucket list. We'll cling to my song rights until I pry them from my dead, cold hands. You know, so um, yeah. I think we're seeing an interesting generational shift as well that's coinciding with this sort of um, uh, this bonanza of uh, interest in publishing and investment. Um, in that, you know, you've got this legacy artists who've been a real goldmine for the music industry for decades are getting really old. Um, bless them and may they long may they run. But they know, I mean, we're all mortal and uh, they're, they're probably looking at their life in a really different frame from um, the way that they would have seen things 20 years ago. So it's a it's kind of an interesting convergence of circumstances. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's a crazy, crazy time in publishing. Let's take a quick break and then we'll continue this awesome conversation. This is 2021 Dimitri here with something a little different. Music Tectonics listeners are the smartest, the coolest, the bestest music tech minds out there. And I wanna give you a chance to speak up and win a prize. Every week, I'm gonna pose a big question for you to answer in the Music Tectonics community app. At the end of the month, we'll choose the most awesome answer and send the winner of one of my favorite books about business, music, technology, or just life in general. Are you ready for the first big question? Trish and I are looking back on 2020 in this episode, but I want to know what music tech news do you think is going to be biggest in 2021? Look for the post that goes with this episode in the Music Tectonics app community forum. We'll tag it, hashtag the big question, and answer it in the comments. If you're not a member yet, I'll tell you how to join the app at the end of the episode. Stay tuned to the podcast in future episodes for more chances to tell us what you're thinking and get involved. Now back to the show. 
So let's wrap up with a quick popcorn of what I don't know what they would call them projections. I'm always scared to say that because, you know, none of this is research based. But for 2021, what are some things we're keeping an eye on? I'll go first. I think think we will see some new roles in the live music industry pop up. There's going to be a new type of promoter, a new type of booking agent, um, a new type of venue. We're seeing some of that emerging, um, but I think we're going to see more of that. What about you? What's next? Well, um, <laughs> I think we're going to see, uh, let's see, I, I think uh, this is, I'll talk about the one that I'm personally most excited about. And I think that um, there's going to be a lot more artist-driven exploration of how to uh, cope with what is a very fragmented uh, listening world out there. Mm. So uh, so, so in, in some ways, you know, there's always been this kind of hierarchical discussion of artists, like there are these tiers of success. Um, but there, I think we're going to see more and more creativity around how do I build a community that can support what I want to do, that cares enough about what I want to do to to support me or interact with me or create with me, depending on what your approach is. Um, and I think we're going to really see uh, some and, and as these ideas emerge, there will be, you know, uh, tech tools and other things or modifications of existing platforms or tools or software or whatever that will help um, enable that. And I think artists are going to see see it less as like a uh, this kind of rat race and more of hopefully an extension of their creative uh, process. How do mm-hmm. I how do I cultivate this this world for people so that they um, support me and I support them? So yeah. it could be a really interesting. I know it's sort of hippie. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's my, I have a dream. Um, That's my dream for 2021. So I'm going to steal one from Mark Mulligan from Media Research, who who spoke (laughs) at Music Tectonics. Um, He said, keep an eye on YouTube subscription growth, that people kind of wrote off YouTube as a driver of subscription because they weren't as fast to grow around subscription. You know, it was typically an ad driven revenue uh, platform. But that as the youth who have been relying on YouTube as their primary um, as their primary source for music uh, kind of mature, they're going to get sick of the ads. They're going to want to have more customization within their YouTube experience. And as a result, will eventually um, start subscribing so that that he expects while we're hearing of music streaming services in the U.S. and in the West starting to plateau, Mm -hmm. YouTube is not in that category at this point. Well, they've seemed to have finally locked into a single product or model. So for a while there were like three or four competing subscriptions right. and it was like, what does this even mean? What does this one versus this one? I don't True. understand. Now they've got it like, okay, they've kind of, and there was also Google play. Like there was a lot of confusion, confusion around um, what, what is this thing? And since they figured out what this thing is um, I think, there's yeah that makes a ton of sense um another uh, another thing that really is very interesting and that's really come to the fore in the latter half of of 2020 and it's going to continue apace i'm sure in 2021 is just the general um explosion in audio whether we're talking social audio or um whether we're talking podcasts um i'm sure there's going to be some other formats that are going to emerge quickly um but there's also we can think a lot about other audio formats that could be interesting for music, like whether it's audio elements within games. So there's been a lot of um, visual customization options, right? So like a skin for your avatar, for your, your, your um, 
that kind of thing or some sort of fun accessory you can add to your gameplay that's visual. But there may also be some cool ways to do audio ones. So mm. maybe, um, you know, you you have like a sound that comes along with a certain action in a game and it's customized to represent your favorite band or that comes from, or maybe your favorite band, it's like a sample from their latest track, or you have all sorts of other opportunities to use audio and, and layer it in in new ways. So that could lead to um, hopefully some new kinds of revenue streams um, that could be part of a bigger bundle, as we were talking about before, with both um, physical and virtual merchandise. There's just so many cool things you can do with audio and so many ways you can weave it in without it being um, overly distracting in most cases um, and, you know, usually enhancing that I think there's a ton of potential for people who make music to, um, to basically have a lot more fields where they can start searching for those, those communities that might support them and might get into what they do. Cool. I'm, I'm excited about the, the audio explosion as well as those uh, additional augmented experiences people can have, whether it's in, in audio or, or other, other forms. I'm going to jump to a more traditional one uh, for my next <laughs> one, Tristra. Spotify, I think, will feel more pressure from Amazon and Apple. I already mentioned the mm -hmm. YouTube subscriptions, but I think what we're seeing and, and hearing from some artists is that Amazon is actually becoming a powerful revenue source a growing one, faster growing. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, when you're not the leading streaming provider, of course, your growth will be faster at some point uh, if you're <laughs> going to grow at all because, you know, you're later in the game. But companies like Amazon, Apple, these bigger companies have a tendency not always to jump in to be the first mm -hmm. at everything. But once they really um, kind of mature their offering of whatever category it is in their overall ecosystem, they are kind of unstoppable. And so I think we're going to see different demographics graphics, certainly on the Amazon side, and just Apple's large footprint of iPhone users, very fanatic uh, consumers, you know, will just go go with the um, go with the easy, the, the, the path of least resistance for where they get their music streaming. So that combination Absolutely. of Amazon, Apple, YouTube, Spotify will continue to feel like they're going to stay in a competitive market. There's not going to be a winner here. And, and speaking of bundles, one thing we haven't touched on yet is the tech bundle phenomenon. And with Amazon Prime and with Apple's new sort of services bundle that they're rolling out, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a huge problem for Spotify. I mean, I have to admit, I've been a Spotify subscriber for quite some time. And I was like, shit, maybe I should just get Apple Plus because like, fuck, you know, I don't need that. It looks the same as Spotify and they have more DJ sets. Because you want to <laughs> so, read all the news and stuff. Is that why? <laughs> and, and you know, see whatever, you know, there's Apple Arcade. I mean, there's a bunch of services just like Amazon Prime has got like all sorts of wacky bells and whistles for all sorts of kinds of consumers out there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really hard when music is a loss leader for your competitor and when it's one of your main uh, sources of revenue and excitement um i mean spotify's got a, a gets a, that's a really tough fight to fight right because it's Which like i think it's why we've seen so much in the audio space with spotify with podcasts and, and stuff they're trying to yeah with a, a, a larger offering on audio and be and, and compete with radio <laughs> that's gonna be a really interesting thing to watch in 2021 is what happens with these big podcast deals, whether we're talking about Joe Rogan or the Obamas or um, the Royals, um, you know, what, what's, are, is that going to be something that people are really excited about? Maybe. I mean, that'll be really interesting to watch. I, I personally am not interested in those. So I, I'm really curious what other people 
you know, how that plays out in terms of um, revenue and a business, the business side of things for Spotify. Um, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. It's a big gamble, maybe, but maybe it isn't. I don't know. It seems like a big gamble to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's let's hop through a couple more before we wrap up one of the longest episodes we've ever had. But hey, 2020 <laughs> was a busy year in spite of all the challenges. Um, I think we're going to see some live hybrids emerge towards the end of the year mm-hmm. where when, when things start coming back in real life, um, I think, you know, whereas, you know, we talked about live streaming being kind of the stepchild of the music industry. There will be some people who are like, get, get me out of the house. I'm going to go see a show. And there'll be some mm-hmm. people who will be like, oh, I don't want to miss the show, but I don't want to get exposed to people I haven't gotten my vaccine yet or I don't know what's going on with the vaccine or whatever and so I think these hybrids are going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on yeah I mean especially for the you know many sectors of the population who either don't wish to go out right now or can't go out or um, just simply their lives don't allow them to I mean it, uh, I think there's a lot of missed opportunities in uh, you know people that just don't can't travel to like a major urban center. I don't know, pay for parking or transportation, pay for drinks and food. You know, there's there's people who'd rather just be like, I just want to give twenty bucks and watch a live stream and enjoy it at home. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of cool potential there. I can't remember what I was thinking when I put this one down on our list, but um, emerging new revenue streams, I think it's just, maybe it's related to all that conversation we had about alternative futures of the music industry, that that these new revenue streams are going to start to take traction. There may be some that we don't even know exist that are going to take off, um, but probably more likely than that, it's, it's some of them are just going to mature, and so more creators and representatives of, of artists um, are going to be paying more attention to those new revenue streams. Yeah. So going back to the whole um, idea of scarcity and uh, and to some to some um, and sort of the immersive or interactive quality of of some of the stuff is, uh, you know, will things like non fungible tokens take off? Like, will will that become a thing? I mean, it's possible, right? We saw with crypto kitties, like you can have a, a sort of craze uh, where people get really obsessed with. Uh, digital collectibles, and um, it can take off that way. But what's going to happen with some of those uh, new methods for uh, getting fans excited and finding something special for people that are really into the music? Um, That to me seems like a a really promising place. But, you know, we've seen a lot of talk about blockchain and and, um, other tech innovation and, you know, whether or not that get that finally blooms into something that's really uh, widely adopted is, is another question. But um, I hope so, because I think there's a lot of potential for artists to, to uh, you know, gain, gain a lot creatively and um, business-wise. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was fun, Tristra. I don't know if any of our so-called projections will, yeah. will manifest or not. I mean, luckily, we, we most of them are pretty broad brushstroke. We're not like quantifying anything. Um, but this has been a blast catching up with you on last year and this emerging year. Um, gosh, I hope it's a better one. I from your lips to the to the divine ear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now don't be a stranger. Come back on the podcast soon, right, Tristra? Oh, okay. All right, maybe. Yeah, and I'd I pro- love to. <laughs> I probably won't see you in the office anytime soon, but I'll see you on Slack and Zoom and Hopin and Google Meets. Okay. You can you can also get my um, non fungible Tristra token. Um. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Go to app.musictectonics.com to find out more there. <laughs> All right. Yikes. Talk to you soon, Trisha. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
I put out new episodes every week. Follow us, Music Tectonics, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn, if you can spell it. Better yet, become a part of the Music Tectonics community. We created a social network, kind of like a Facebook, just for music tech aficionados. If you're listening to this show, that's you. It's free to join. You can use it on the web at app.musictectonics.com or find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with me and other folks from all corners of music and tech. Get exclusive access to Music Tectonics content and events and meet each other. Join the app to answer the big question and one listener every month will win one of my favorite books. Get updates about upcoming events and our big music tech conference in October when you sign up for our email newsletter. Go to musictectonics.com to get it in your inbox every two weeks. And if you want to learn more about the Music Tech PR team at Rock, Paper, Scissors, you can find out at rockpaperscissors.biz. Peace. You're listening to Music Tectonics.